Hello and welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the Definitive Developers Podcast, living large in New York. I'm your host, Michael Nunez, and I have friends with me, people. Uh, we'll start with Dan Mason. Hey, how's it going? Melissa Wanish. Hello again. And Stevie Oberg. Hello. And today's topic we'll be talking about is AI a friend or foe? Can we get ahead of it? I can assure you, folks, if you're listening, that I'm not talking robots. I have real friends and coworkers who are here with me who want to talk with me about AI, which is great. I imagine if you're listening, you may have had an opportunity to work with some form of chatbot or, you know, some kind of AI tool that exists out there. And I brought these lovely folks to ask the question, should I be terrified of AI? Like, am I at risk as a human person in the workforce? Uh, Dan, what would your answer be if someone said, hey, are the robots going to take our lives? What are we going to do? Or should I be terrified? Go ahead, Dan. What do you think? Yeah, no, I don't think you should be terrified. I think the whole thing is fascinating. It's more just that like, we don't know exactly where this is going. And I think that's the, the scary part, right? But we've seen a handful of things that these things are good at. We've figured out some ways to use it in daily life and some ways that are, are still just pure like you know, experiments and like, you know, fun. And like the thing they say, right, is that all the best things start as toys, right? You never know exactly when you end up, you know, sort of figuring out how to make it real. So I think we're still in the toy phase, but even the toy phase is is, is actually scarily close to some of like what we do for work. So that's, that's part of why this is freaking people out, right? It is very close to what you do. And then Melissa, you mentioned earlier, before we started recording, the term emergence. So first and foremost, I have to learn new all, all these words and whatnot. But you mentioned emergence is the scary part. Tell me what is an emergence and- I found that to be scary when I read about machine learning emergence and how- it will learn to do things it wasn't told to do in the first place. And one example is actually how we've been utilizing it quite a bit is as a co-pilot to help us code is that's not a use case that was thought of beforehand, but it became very good at it because it looked at the entire internet. There's lots of code examples on the internet. And so now here it goes. It's emerging to take on this task. And I'm I'm a little bit terrified about what else it will learn to do. A little bit of Terminator. Like at some point, does it become more powerful than us? I don't know. I know that's that's science fiction, but I'm a little terrified. Feels very real, right? Like I've heard cases where it does a really good job at like writing tests for you. And it's like, no, no, that should be me. Like, I'm the person who read the user story and know what these tests are. How do you know this? Like, this is kind of wild. Steve, are you terrified of AI right now? Or are you standing strong like Dan in this challenge that we have? No, I'm not terrified of it. I think, much like Dan said, it is a tool. And like all tools, it can be used for good or bad. So that being said, I am not terrified, but I'm cautious. People will use us for bad things, but they'll also use it for good things. And that balance is kind of where we sit, I think, as developers. I'm glad that we're 50-50 on the terrified and not terrified. That's good, I guess. I mean, I might get, y'all might be able to win me over. So like as a developer, can we agree that our jobs may not be at risk at the moment with AI as developers or as a PM? Yeah, I'll jump in as a PM. So, you know, I'm more of a product guy now than anything else, but but like I was a developer for seven or eight years out of college. And the thing that, that struck me with this stuff is that 
I still know what code looks like, right? I can still think it, I can still write some of it, but like literally the last code that I pushed to production was C++ on a Palm Pilot. It's been a long time, right? So like when I actually looked at this thing, I was like, I have no idea where the semicolons go, but I kind of know what I want. Can you write this for me in TypeScript? Like that's actually what, I, what I'd use this thing to do. And it wrote fine TypeScript. I had to figure out where to plug it in. I still had to host it, right? And that was one of the big things was these things don't yet do DevOps, right? Like we might get there, right? There are platforms that are starting to do this and basically pumping bot code straight into a thing that runs. But, you know, like there are still gaps that I think people fill in. That may not be true forever, but it's true right now. It's very interesting that you mentioned DevOps as a guide, a segue to kind of like the next thing I want to talk about. So it's not like as developers and PM, it seems like you can utilize the tool to your advantage, right? But like, what about other jobs? Like as a human, the first thing that comes to mind is similar to DevOps being the internet pipes. Like I don't see a robot replacing plumbers, like actual pipes that deal with water. Do you have an idea? Does anyone have an idea or thoughts on like what jobs could be at risk because of, because of AI? I think content creation is very much at risk just in general, right? Like it's both because a lot of content creation is built off of data that you can, you know, suck out of a database anytime you want, right? Like it's actually been true. So I'm a fantasy baseball and football player, right? Those updates that you get on like players every day, those have been machine generated for years. They're on templates. They pull out of the data that gets sucked in from the games, right? So a lot of this has already happened. It's just that now this is a lot more flexible and it goes a lot more into sort of the creative bits. Any other thoughts on another job? I think there are jobs that might get harder. I've heard a lot of sort of general talk about teachers and professors sort of navigating that plagiarism line. How do they navigate that now? Now, some of their jobs may become easier, write me a lesson plan with blah, 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 and they put it all together, right? So that becomes easier. That's time saving. Get them started. Maybe they fill it out more. But then they have to battle plagiarism and battle, you know, sort of those more ethical conversations. And I am so glad that I am not in a position where I would be writing papers because I would have used it to plagiarize all of my papers. I was a crappy college and high school student. So I'm glad that I didn't have those tools and I was forced to write really bad papers because I would definitely lean to this. I'd be a problem. I'd be a huge problem with plagiarism. And I'm so glad there weren't iPhones when I was in high school. So that I had to like physically use a pen to write a thing. Stevie, any jobs you have in mind that wasn't mentioned that could be at risk or could be enhanced? Yeah, it's kind of in line with the content creation, to be honest. I am less concerned actually about generating content and more concerned about the jobs that like edit those content. I think that's really where AI will thrive because I think the best content is the content that comes from our own experience. And AI doesn't experience things, especially not how we do. You don't have an AI walking through life. Does an AI dream of electric sheep? I think that's like a phrase or something of that nature, a book, if I recall. But I don't know. Yeah. And I think we could go into the leverage. I'm actually curious to hear how have y'all leveraged AI in the workplace? I think, Dan, you mentioned like, hey, write this thing and do it. How would you do it in TypeScript? I have one like real professional usage that I have for AI and then one really, really ridiculous professional way. And you don't have to come up with those two. It's fine. I was at a client and they wrote Java, which I haven't written Java in like four years. 
So I had to like, you know, do prompt driven development of like, oh, how would I add a new item into this list? And it's like, oh, okay. And then, you know, the AI didn't fully understand. So it was just giving me arrays, but like array list is the way to go in Java. So I had to like continuously like, okay, use this array list. Pretend that this is the object that I want to have the collection. And then the other item that I want to shove in, how would you do it? Okay, how would a real Java developer do it? Like with the what latest API would allow me to do that? And it's like talks about streams. And I'm like, yes, people will think I'm a real Java developer because I'm just copy and pasting this code that I just used to do the thing. The very unhinged use of AI chatbot. Dan, you mentioned earlier in our conversation about how LinkedIn is just a crazy social media to, to navigate through. So I actually had it for an entire day come up with insane prompts on software development challenges pertaining to X. And it was like what I experienced the last day. And I was like, add a lot of emojis. And believe me, I think ChatGPT knows how unhinged these LinkedIn posts are. And if you haven't seen it, you can check out my LinkedIn. I think it's Michael J. Nunez. And it's the only time I've ever posted. So like, it's crazy. I mean, has anyone, Steve, I'll ask you, what have you used a chatbot or like a cartoon bot, if you will, for your daily life or for programming purposes? I think the main way I've been using it thus far is a replacement for Google. And so, yeah, just searching things like CSS properties and seeing how it would re recommend me using it. What I've found so far is that you basically need to know what they are <laughs> to be able to use that information anyways but it saves some time. Instead of having to go through five different links to make sure I understand something, it regurgitates it in like a paragraph. We had to update our bios uh, at Stride. And I said, oh, and there was kind of a format that people were using. So I tried to get it to do that. And I realized how difficult writing these prompts are. And it just was not giving me really what I wanted. And so I felt like I was kind of like in Galaxy Quest. If you remember, only Sigourney Weaver could talk to the ship. And so I felt like, how do I become Sigourney Weaver? I'm not talking to the ship correctly. And so, but I did get ideas from it, right? I did get phrases and inspired some creativity that I didn't have before. So I used it for that. I'm still working on, on becoming Sigourney Weaver. Actually, I'd love to jump in on that one because like, I think the whole creativity thing is key, right? It's a creative unblock. If you're in a place where you're stuck or you're just like, I'm not totally sure how to say this, but I know what I want to say, then you go straight to this thing. It'll be great at it. I've actually found myself not doing it as much. And part of it is like, you know, if you feel like you know what you want to say and you don't want this thing to sort of, you know, restate it in words that aren't yours, then it can be weird. Like if you have your own voice, if you're like sort of like, I, I know what I want to talk about. I find myself not going to this thing for that, but for something I either don't know how to start doing or that I don't really understand very well, or that I know would take a lot more time to go and research myself. It's great. It's just like when you have like certain expertise, I find myself not asking it about the things that I know pretty well, but it's weird. Like I, I feel like you've heard about that effect across the industry of like people who don't really know how to do something are asking it to code them entire applications. People who do know how to code are really skeptical, at least in, in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, because sometimes you have to look at it. I mean, I don't know if y'all have ever experienced it, but like the chatbot will straight up lie about certain things. And it's like, no, like that is not true. Here's an example. I've used it. I am terrified of like emailing people. So I'll often be like, hey, write me an email that asks the appliance person about, 
you know, fixing my dishwasher or whatever. And like, you know, and it's really formal. So I'm like, no, that's way too formal. But like the email that I had to generate was like, oh yeah. And I've done everything I could in my power to see that like it were like, no, I didn't. I didn't even open it. I just saw water spilling and I need someone to fix it. Like, why would you say that I tried something? Like, don't lie to me. Don't lie for me either. Like it's, it's wild. So we always got to look at it. We always got to look at the code and, and find out because if it doesn't, then, you know, that'll be a problem. It's definitely hard to see the truth. That's why it's not going to take over everyone's job because there's still an evaluation of the output that needs to happen still. Although like just, just as, a, as a counterpoint to that, it might be that this is also the beginning of an explosion of bad code in the world, right? Because anybody can write it and maybe it works, but it's terrible and like, it's sort of like what happened in business with Excel, right? What happened in business with Excel is that you had the power to do macros and like all of this stuff, you know, that was like, you know, otherwise you would have had to build software, like, you know, learn algebra. You could just do these stupid macros that, you know, were absolutely awful, but worked. And so like, I just wonder how much you're going to see like sort of bad software making its way into the world because it's so easy now. You'll just see a lot more of it. Oh no. And then chat GPT will then feed you back. It will the as bad, it learns from the bad, bad code. code. That's true too. Oh no! That see something to be afraid of. So we got, no, we got to teach a design pattern. So that's, that's what we should have it do. I want to talk about. So say, could I like separate and have my own personal chatbot that like I feed it code and it's only the best code, the best kind, and privatize it? Is it a way to like spin that up and you know ensure that like information that I shared with it may not be on the internet? Right? I would hate for it to somehow. And another person's chatbot spit out my social security number. That'd be terrifying. So I'm curious, like, is there a way to make it like to silo it from a given data set and then use that to your advantage based on your context and, and documents? Yeah, no, there definitely is. And, and we've started experimenting with that a little bit. And I think the, the thing that we found so far is that it takes a fair amount to just understand the moving parts, right? And so as soon as you understand all the stuff that you need to make that happen, it's totally doable, right? And I think the thing that we're hoping to help people figure out is what is the right size and scope of, you know, one of these language models for you, right? You may need it to do one very specific thing. Cool. We'll train it up. We'll put it in a box and you're done. You may want the full power of chat GPT, but with some idea of, you know, what your business is like, we can do that too, right? It really just depends on your, your requirements, you know, data security things, cost, like all of that, you know, is, is going to sort of slide things around. But once we know what, you know, really makes sense for you, we can figure that out. It's definitely doable. It is good that like we can have other, you know, if there are some like proprietary documentation or IP that companies can then silo their automation to be a little bit more specific to their business domain. I think for now, I'm probably not going to make my own and I'll make sure I don't put my social in any chat box or in any text box for that matter, unless I know it's secure for me to do that. But I think we learned some people are terrified. I'm sorry, Dan, Stevie, I'm still scared. Like whether it's going to be bad code, it knows my social <laughs> or the emergence that Melissa mentioned earlier. So I'm, I'm scared. Y'all going to have to hold my hand for this. But yeah, I mean, it is exciting though. I mean, I, I think it's been a minute since something like this has really caught on, right? That there's this sort of small thing that grows and grows and grows and everybody's doing it. I mean, that happened with social networks, right? It was... So if you think about how that over time grew and grew and grew, and they were good and bad, and it's still evolving, I see this sort of, you know, chat GPT and large language models 
being in that realm of it's still so new. We're still like the college kids talking about who's hot or not. And then we'll grow up. We'll grow up and then our grandparents will start using it. So I think that could be where where it's headed. Speaking of things that will date us, this will certainly date me. So like, I think I took an AI class in college. This would have been like 1998 and it was in Lisp, right? Because back then that was the thought was that, oh, well, these things have to be able to program themselves. There was like none of this neural network stuff. There was like, nobody really understood how any of this worked, right? Like the mid 2000s, there was a guy and he's, he's still relevant today, Jeff Hawkins who was actually one of the founders of Palm Pilot, and then basically decided he was going to take his Palm Pilot money and figure out how the brain worked. And so he founded this company called Numenta, which I think is still out there. And he's written a bunch of books. And the most recent one is called A Thousand Brains. So if anybody, I think that's what it's called. If anybody's interested, go read it. Because what it basically says is the way the brain actually works is a lot like how these AI models work, right? It is actually just a bunch of these different systems making predictions right? And that literally the brain is a prediction machine, just like these things are. So when you look at like emergences, that's actually a a big part of it. They're essentially acting the same way the brain does, but they're not doing it with kind of all of the same systems in place. And one of the most optimistic takes I've heard is that because there's no animal brain in these AIs, they're probably not going to ever want to kill anybody. Fingers crossed. Because really that's what the animal brain kind of is. The animal brain is fight, flight, kill, whatever. We didn't build that in. All you gave them was the neocortex. Hopefully that's a good thing. Fingers crossed. Hopefully that's a yeah. Hopefully that's a good thing. exactly. Fingers crossed, all across the board. Follow us now on Twitter at Radio Free Rabbit, so we can keep the conversation going. Like what you hear? Give us a five star review and help developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole and never miss an episode. Subscribe now, however you listen to your favorite podcast. On behalf of our producer extraordinaire William Jeffries and my amazing co-host Dave Anderson. And me, your host, Michael Nunez. Thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole.